As artists from all across South Asia gathered for Amnesty International's first Arts for Rights Festival here in Colombo, Himal South Asians seized the opportunity to talk to some of them. Our editor, Anuhita Majundur, was in conversation with Maldivian photographer Dahao Nasim, whose first ever exhibition captured intense moments of confrontation between the Maldivian people and the Maldivian state. Her photographs provide a visual documentary of the years of repressive autocracy in the Maldives, which recently voted against the government of Abdullah Yameen. Deputy Associate Editor Shubanga Pandey spoke with Omid Sharifi of Art Lords, a collective which has used the streets of Kabul to speak truth to power through murals. Art Lords, whose name is a play on Afghanistan's better-known warlords, used the blast walls on the streets of Kabul as a canvas for art and public engagement. Welcome to the Himal South Asian podcast, The Hav Naseem. Thank you so much for sparing time on your short visit to Colombo to speak with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, for our audience, all of whom may not be familiar with your work, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, my work um, exhibited here is a series of photographs. So I'm, even though my background is in architecture, um, I've been taking photographs for a very long time. And in, in my recent years, I've kind of um, started to use that to make a living as well. Um, but also, it was, it, it was more a thing that I did out of passion than anything else. So um, the series that you see here is um, a series of photographs that document the protests that took place within the last seven years or so in the Maldives. You grew up in the Maldives and then went to... England for your education and returned and yes. did you find a big difference? Yes, I returned in 2013 and like I said it was different anyway because of how the country was developing but the change that I saw from you know my childhood um, spent in the country was that just the chaos on the streets you know the day I got there it was in the morning and by the afternoon we were out on the streets you know myself my mother my sisters every everyone was out there and it was such a kind of shock from the peacefulness and you know serene you know calmness that we had before it was a wake-up call almost you know it was very very different to what it used to be but the peacefulness and calm of the past was also during an extremely autocratic regime. Exactly, yeah, but true. But did you not really feel uh, anything unusual perhaps because you had grown up in that milieu and didn't know things could be in a different way? We were always aware of it. I mean, the peacefulness was... The difference between the two um, regimes is that during Mahmoud Abdul Gayum's regime, which is what I'd known, you know, all my life up until even when I left. Um, it was calm on the streets. It was calm on the outside. All of the stuff that happened happened behind closed doors with a, you know, facade of of peace and calm on on, you know, on the outside. And we were aware of, and and as we grew older, we were aware more and more of the stuff that was happening behind closed doors. But people were afraid to talk about it. And while you were away, of course, Maldives had its perhaps first democratic elections. They did, yes. And that was a moment of great hope and you were watching all of this from... Yes, I was in England, yes. Um, 
we couldn't make it to London that time to vote because it was such short notice. But um, a few people did. But we were we were watching with you know nail biting, and it was about four a.m. in the morning when when the news came, and it was just the best moment in you know in history. And it was such a big change that had come about, and you could feel it through you know the people who were back at home. You know, I got phone calls from people explaining what it what it was like, and I think. It was like this new sunrise, you know. We 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 have better days ahead, and then uh, three years later we had a change again. But at the time, it was it was amazing, you know. So even as part of the diaspora for a short while, mm. you were very connected to the Maldives. Yes, I suppose I was. Yes. And you said that you know you were out on the streets with your camera. on the afternoon when you returned so you practically kind of learned your craft of documenting on the streets as it were and you continue to do it for the until last now years, yes but it uh, must have been extremely difficult because you were in a way untutored you weren't a professional photojournalist no. and you didn't have the skills or the training even in terms of security issues so mm. how did you actually learn to protect yourself because the pictures i saw they're very upfront and close and mm. you know they give you a visceral sense of having been in the middle of it i literally was in the middle of it because i think perhaps the naivety lent lent to that as well because i i just i got in there and i mean because i photograph other things anyway you know i like to i like detail i like going in there and photographing things and when i was on the street and surrounded by all of this it, i just couldn't do anything else you know i i just started shooting and then that like you said yeah there was there was no formal kind of there was no one to say this is how you do this or this is what you do and i, I didn't even know what i was going to do with the images I wasn't, you know, a, a journalist working for a newspaper or anything. Um eventually like I did give images to a couple of newspapers and a TV station every now and then and we do photo stories just because I had them. Um but it was it was a trial and error thing I suppose, you know, you get pepper sprayed constantly and um but you kind of pull through. And I I liked the idea that that usually press photography that you see of these things are on the other side of the barricades but i wanted to capture what it was like to actually be amidst the people so for the longest time, i didn't have a press pass or anything like that i just kind of i was one of of those people you know that is the perspective that i wanted to capture and that really comes through i remember this particular photograph which i just saw in the exhibition where uh, the police are on a truck or mm-hmm. some kind of vehicle mm-hmm. and scanning the crowd and yes. you said there's a particular word for it ufuralum yes to pluck someone out of the crowd yes but that's extraordinary that you were right there i mean your gaze was on them and their gaze must have been on you mm-hmm. so were there times when you were identified as someone who was documenting them and that that uh, got you into trouble quite a few times actually i n- surprisingly 
too many people. I'd never got arrested, but I'd get thrown out. You know, I'd get uh, escorted out of the area or, um, you know, manhandled a bit and stuff like that. But I never got arrested. But you can, you know, I take the pictures and sometimes I'm looking right at them and I take it and I, you know, go away. But I look at them afterwards and you're like, you see the gaze, you know, you see that they're eyeing you up and they've got this stuff where you have people just pointing right at you going that one go get that one yeah. stuff like that you spoke about naivety and there's a certain courage that comes with that mm. but around you there were obviously instances of brutality mm -hmm. and also of journalists uh, disappearing mm -hmm. or journalists who were killed yes did that give you pause to think about your own safety? To be honest, I mean, I think everyone's safety was, you know, in question Equally at the time. Yeah, exactly. And at the time of real one's disappearance, we obviously didn't think it was as big a thing as it turned out to be. But um, within a couple of weeks, we we all we used to meet up regularly. Um, to try and um, push for an investigation and there were rallies there were you know protests and walks and his family was constantly out on the streets you know asking for answers um, so I was quite involved with that as well as was Yamin the um, blogger who was murdered a couple uh, three years later you know our magazine tries to cover Maldives and of course we wish we could do more but even from the little that one has seen What's always struck me as extraordinary is how little people seem to care internationally about what happens in Maldives. I remember when the Al Jazeera um, shot uh, film came out, I, I was convinced the government was going to collapse in a week yeah. uh, and nothing happened. And you've talked about how a little bit, you've referred to a little bit to the, how the international community views the place. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is behind this extraordinary negligence? This has been a debate that's been going on for so many years now because we always think, oh look, we, there's there's a lot of international bodies who obviously, you know, will not allow this to happen, but it, it carried on, you know? I think what I found uh, puzzling is that uh, there has been some censure, there has been action there have also recently been sanctions mm -hmm. of some kind but they really haven't had a great impact no they didn't um and perhaps i don't know if it was a little bit too late for it to have any effect because i think the sanctions came through during i mean towards the end of yamin's um government and before that it was I think people strongly condemned what was going on from you know different countries, but um, there were no consequences. Yeah, there were no, yeah exactly. That I th and I think the government kind of knew that they could get away with it. Is what happened. So let's just talk about right now. I mean, it's mm. an extraordinary, almost unexpected moment of democratic hope and triumph. I know, I couldn't Till believe it for about a week. Last minute, I think everybody, including 
the current government was expecting to lose not because mm. they didn't have popular support but because uh, it, it was felt out. that the playing field was skewed mm. uh, how do you think this transformation actually happened despite the odds i think people after you know about 7 years of of living through it you know that daily grind and that sort of repression and fear um finally thought that's it maybe this is not going to be a fair vote but we're going to go and vote and you saw that all around the country and even in other countries where a lot of Maldivians reside such as Sri Lanka and Malaysia people queued up for hours and hours and hours um even when the system that they'd set up was so tedious and difficult they did everything they could to make it you know impossible yeah. and yet people went and stayed and voted and i think that shows that the Maldivian people had sort of perhaps grown in 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 a sense you know and um i hope that that you know carries on and i i hope that people hold um, the government and people in charge more accountable for their actions in the future what are you hoping to see from this new government what i'm hoping for for the next few years for through you know the change in government now is is justice for the people justice for the people who have been denied it for you know the past 7 years um justice for the families who have lost people for the families who have had people in jail for you know wrongfully jailed and to bring this to a close and that like to go back to your work mm-hmm. uh, now that there is a democratic government in place mm-hmm. what do you plan to do I know what you mean um it feels like such a relief that 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 part of it is over it feels like and I think this exhibition for me is is almost like well this is here's here's what happened mm. and this is the end of it you know mm. because we had I had this archive of images that we couldn't really do anything with for the long for the longest time um and I'd like to focus on other issues now I mean I've already got a few projects rolling uh, um some of them are still human rights related and others are not it's going to give me a lot more time to kind of um create projects that i'm passionate about well thank you for taking time to talk to us and i'm sorry we've had so much of background noise is because <laughs> the amnesty human rights art festival is happening around us but it's a good space and a good moment and especially a good moment in time for Maldives to be having this conversation with you so thank you thank you very much thanks and now our interview with Omid Sharifi of Artlogs hi omid um can you tell us something about the origins of artlogs as uh, so artlogs is from the streets of kaul yeah. the streets which every day sees a lot of explosions a lot of ugly blast walls a lot of guns a lot of warlords corrupt lords drug lords so art lords sort of started from those streets with the with the aim that we want to be the positive lords we want to be the constructive lords 
we want to bring hope in, in, a, in a situation in a country where everybody else is trying to take away the hope, uh, the positivity, uh, and, and uh, the good work. So that's how Arnold started with four people at the very beginning, uh, all volunteers uh, and co-founders. Um, and basically it was out of frustration, it was out of trying to find a solution for the problems that we were facing every single day in Kabul. And one of those problems were, uh, we, I say blast world, I'm not sure if it's uh, something that your um, uh, audience will understand. In Kabul, if you ever travel, you have a lot of these um, concrete walls up to eight meters high. It's covering every single building, uh, embassies, government offices, uh, roads blocked. So simply what does it mean is that as a citizen living in Kabul, they have taken away your space. They have taken away your street, the place you could walk, place you can play football, the place you could drive your bicycle. So all those spaces are taken away from you. So we just went out there and we said we want to bring down these walls. We want to reclaim back our space. So that's how sort of our life started. So could you tell us about some of the recent murals that you've been working on? Uh, some of the work we have done is, for example, the first mural we started was I See You uh, is, is a mural against corruption. It's a pair of eyes looking at, at, at the corrupt people and telling them, you know what, I know you're corrupt, I know you're stealing my money, um, I know the, the car you're driving is like $200,000, uh, you have cars, in, you have houses in Dubai and Istanbul, uh, maybe today we cannot do anything about you, but later on we'll take you to justice. So these sort of messages is really uh, connecting with people and sort of becoming the murals that we are doing is becoming the voice of the, the voiceless, voice of the ordinary people, uh, the people who are uh, working very hard, paying their taxes and everything, but at the end of the day, they cannot have a voice uh, in, in, their, um, in how their tax money is spent, in how the government is functioning. So that is the moment our class comes in with the murals, invites everybody, paint, and raise your voice. Not, not just murals, but theater, animation, movies. Uh, we have a small gallery which is open to public in Kabul. So those are sort of the stuff that we, we, we work on. There's also this the recent uh, mural called Suja, which came up in Kabul. Can you tell us something briefly about it? So the, the Shuja, which is a, 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 a Persian word for brave, the, this mural is a joint work of art lords and Amnesty International. And the face of this mural is a, is a brave journalist which was killed uh, by the Taliban in, in an in a explosion. Um, so the, the journalists, the photographer, they all go on the site of an explosion to, to take pictures, to um, uh, create the news, and then the second explosion happens. And this photographer, which, his name is Shamarai, and he has been doing photography for the last 20 years, uh, he's martyred, he's killed, with, along with so many other people. So the, the mural is really focusing on, um, uh, on this person with the message that these are our heroes. You know, one of the narratives that Art Lords is uh, promoting is uh, my hero. You know, the, heroes who, the hero who has a pen, the hero who has a camera, the hero 
who are doing campaigns for amnesty. So these are the people who are the real heroes, we call them. Um, and we're promoting those kind of people. And this was a very uh, timely mural, uh, a lot of attention, a lot of media, and uh, a deserved recognition for uh, Shomarai, who was killed in this accident. Do you see in the future doing more collaborative works with other South Asian artists and other South Asian art projects? How do you see the future of art lords um, beyond Afghanistan? So we have done a lot of work in South Asia. The first work which we started was in uh, 2017. We hosted the South Asian Youth Conference in Kabul. We had around 120 people uh, from 12 countries, 8 countries of South Asia and the other countries. They all came to Kabul, stayed there for a week. We did a lot of music, we did murals together, we talked about art, we talked about peace, we talked about countering violent extremism, uh, we talked about how we can really keep our unity in this part of the, the world. Uh, it was well received in South Asia. Then we hosted another conference in Colombo. Um, it was this year. Again, it was focused on art. We gathered around 50 artists from eight South Asian countries. Uh, we hosted two Indian artists in Kabul because we have an artist in residence program. We are inviting artists from South Asia to come visit Kabul, see a different race of Kabul. We are coming to do murals and paintings here. So we are really trying hard to connect South Asia through art because there's so much in common. Omid Sharifi, thank you for talking to Himal South Asia. Sure.